Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Today is International Women's Day and when uh, this popped up on my Twitter timeline this morning reminding me that it was International Women's Day, I thought what a good idea to do a podcast about women in motorsport. It's very topical right now in 2020 with more and more female drivers competing at the top level of motorsport all around the world. And with many initiatives um, via the FIA and many commercial sponsors to help um, female participation in motorsport, not just behind the wheel, but in, um, in technical aspirations, in marketing, in all these sorts of things that surround the business of motorsport. So what I did was I looked, I looked back um, through the history books at some of the finest female racing drivers that there have ever been. Because as I've mentioned many times on the podcast before, I didn't have the usual route into, uh, into you know, my, my passion for motorsport being sparked. Most people, for most boys, it's their father taking them to races. But for me, it was actually my mother that got me involved in motor racing and certainly in watching motor racing and having a passion for it. So it's played a big part in my, my life and my love of motorsport. And there are many great women who um, have got behind the wheel. And the further back in history you go, the more difficult it was for these women. So I wrote down a short list of names uh, many of which we will cover on the podcast and some of which we've actually even spoken to on the podcast. If you look back in our episode library for the interview that I did with um, the British driver Catherine Legg at Daytona this year, it's a really, really interesting chat. She was really kind to take some time to speak to us. So go back and, uh, and listen to that and, and hear a little bit from her. But the first name I, I wrote on the list was a lady called Janet Guthrie. And... Initially, I'd planned for this podcast to do a little bit about maybe four or five different lady drivers, but Janet Guthrie's story is so interesting and so um, <laughs> it's so so long and has so much um, involved in it. I thought I think she deserves an entire podcast to herself. So um, I got researching and um, started to learn a little bit more about Janet. I must be honest, I only came aware of, of Janet when listening to one of my favourite podcasts, a podcast called Dinner with Racers, with um, a current IMSA driver, Ryan Eversley, and uh, motorsports PR guru, Sean Heckman. If you've never listened to Dinner with Racers before, um, please check it out. It's a brilliant um, it's a brilliant series with the stars of, of motorsport. And in their most recent series, they went to speak to Janet um, at her home uh, in uh, in Aspen in Colorado. Janet Guthrie, she was the first ever woman to qualify for the Indy 500 and the Daytona 500 as well. And in fact, she ended up doing so in the same year. And in this podcast, I just want to tell a little bit of a story of her of her career and how she how she came motor racing and what she achieved once she started. So Janet Guthrie, you know, growing up, um, she began flying at the age of 13. Her pilot, her, her father was a pilot, and unlike many of her peers at that time, she was encouraged by her parents to go out and try, and she was, she was told that she could do anything that she set her mind to. 
unlike many of our peers at the time that were perhaps encouraged to get married early and, and live a life um, at, at home and not take on any professional aspirations. But Janet was lucky that, that her parents pushed her on and encouraged her to do things like that. And with her, pa- her, her father's piloting um, flying skills, um, he, he took, uh, <laughs> took Janet under his wing and, and taught her how to fly just at the age of 13. By the age of 16, she was actually jumping out of planes doing skydiving. And before she even reached her 20th birthday, she was flying large aircraft all around America. Quite extraordinary, even nowadays, um, let alone back back then. And she, while she was at school, she took on uh, a, a physics degree at the University of Mich- Michigan when she graduated in 1960 and quickly took on a career as a research and development engineer in the aviation industry and took every possible opportunity to get into the cockpit and fly aircraft all around the country. In order to get to work on this new job of hers, she treated herself to her first ever car, which was a 1953 Jaguar XK120M, still to this day one of the prettiest cars ever produced and at the time was a seriously fast piece of kit and what she quickly realised was that she had a burning passion simmering under the surface for speed, for competition uh, and just for, um, for, for the motor car as well. And what she realised was with this Jaguar XK120 that she loved so much that she could go and compete with this car and it was this car that springboarded her passion for racing. So she started off doing small, um, um, we would call them now autocross events, but they were called Gymkhanas uh, back then. Of course, Gymkhana has a very different meaning now um, with um, stunt driving and the like. But at that time, it was effectively what we would call autocrossing. Um, and basically from there, she was bitten by the bug. Now, of all, all the material that I've read and watched and listened to about Janet, her enthusiasm is just infectious and her determination is one of the finest, it's one of the strongest determinations I think I've, I've, I've ever seen. She, she was just so determined to go motor racing and to succeed. And then, and even as it is today, going motor racing, even if you have the funding to do so, requires a lot of commitment, whether that be in time, in practice, um, all these kinds of things. Sometimes in just in terms of, you know, for example, if I wanted to go motor racing, I would have to go and get a trailer license and buy a trailer and then buy a car and all these kinds of things. So a lot of these things get in the way of 99% of people. But for the 1% or the 0.1% in the case of Janet, they have such a burning desire and a passion for it that nothing gets in their way. And nothing did get in her way until a little bit later on in the story. So she started competing in 1963 in SCCCA, the Sports Car Club of America, uh, in sports car racing. By this point, she'd upgraded to an XK140, a slightly newer model of Jaguar sports cars. Now, in those days, she um, built her own engines out the back of her station wagon, out the back of her estate car. She, so as I say, she built her own engines, she did her own bodywork, and normally would sleep in the back of this car, which she would drive through the night to get from race 
to race. And what I love about this, this particular story, that's not unusual to see a one-man band or a one-woman band in this case driving a car around, towing the racing car behind them. That that's that is relatively normal, believe it or not. But what what just what really really struck to me was how much she just loved the adventure of it. She said, I just adored hooking the car up to the trailer and going on this adventure all around the country and competing and pushing myself to the limit of what I was capable of. Interestingly, at this point, racing competitively in national sports car racing in America, she said, you know, in sports car racing, I was never treated any differently. I was just a driver, just like anybody else. So as we'll come to realise, the actual category of motorsport that she was competing in had an impact on the way that she was received. Of course, at this time, sports car racing was very much an amateur uh, concern and, you know, didn't really gather any kind of mainstream media attention. Of course, the Indy 500 and the Daytona 500 carry a much greater mainstream media attention and that what came with that had its pluses and very much its minuses. In 1976, it looked like, after 13 years of racing, it looked like Janet Guthrie would actually have to stop due to a lack of funding. Motor racing was getting more and more expensive for her, and at the time, she was getting to the age where she thought, I need to take a reality check here and go and, and focus 100% on my career and go and start a family and all these sorts of things. Um, this is the racing, it's it's time to grow up basically after 13 years of driving around the country racing her sports car. But just as she was about to take that decision, she, she received the call to be invited to race, to be the first ever woman to race in the 1976 Indianapolis 500. Now the Indianapolis 500 uh, is, is held uh, during the month of May and they refer to it as the great month of May uh, in the United States. But although it's only one 500 mile race on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the actual qualifying process takes the entire month and there's lots and lots of laps and rookie orientations and they've got to keep building their speed up and then eventually qualify the car for the race. Now, it might seem quite straightforward. You think, well, if you can't qualify for the race, you shouldn't be there. To give you an idea, Fernando Alonso uh, in 2019 um, he sorry, 2018, he failed to qualify for the Indianapolis 500 at the wheel of a McLaren um, in Indy 500 car. So if a double world Formula One champion, Fernando Alonso, Le Mans winner, Daytona 24 hour winner, uh, Monaco Grand Prix winner can fail to qualify for the Indy 500, anyone can. And it's always been an incredibly difficult event to qualify for if your equipment is not up to the job. And that was certainly the case for Janet when she came, when she came to the race in 1976 in the month of May, she had a lot of hurdles to overcome. One of those was the difficulty and the, the lack of technical prowess and the lack of um, performance in her race car that she'd, that she'd been provided with. However, that was only one of her difficulties. One of the other difficulties that she came across was the media and the other drivers. Bobby Unser, a driver who won the Indy 500 three times, Bobby Unser was interviewed on television, was one of many people to make derogatory comments about Janet and the whole concept 
of a female driver competing in the Indianapolis 500. Bobby Unser said, and I quote, I don't think any woman is going to make a good race car driver. That was probably one of the lighter comments to give you an idea. At the time, there was what the drivers were saying was relatively, relatively tame in the in the context. The journalists writing headlines for newspapers were even less kind to Janet. One particular journalist, um, you know, wrote a story saying that um, something along the lines of you know Miss Guthrie should be, when she's taking the start should be more worried about finding her lipstick in her handbag. And no, I'm not joking. That is exactly what she had to come up against for uh, for that. To hear a lot more about the difficulties that she came up with, go on to um, the Dinner with Racers podcast channel and listen to the chat that the guys had with Janet. And she tells the story in much more detail than I can uh, right now. And it's better to hear it from her first, um, her, you know, from the first person perspective. It's absolutely shocking in today's day and age but what you will also learn listening to that particular podcast is just how 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 strong-willed a lady she was how confident she was so confident in her own ability that she could do the job that was not out with that was not in doubt for her she knew she was good enough to do it but she had to prove it over and over and over again much more than her male counterparts had to at the time so in the end, she failed to qualify for the Indy 500 in 1976, mainly because of the frustrations with inferior equipment. And actually, when you we just talked about Fernando Alonso, it was well reported that, you know, he's a good enough driver to qualify for the Indy 500, but his car did not allow him to do so. And that's a perennial problem in many forms of motorsport. So at the time, it looked like that this was going to be very much a bad news day for Janet Guthrie, but in stepped a promoter called Humpy Wheeler, who was the president of the Charlotte Motor Speedway. And at the time, the Indy 500 had a rival race. So the Indy 500 is an open wheel, it's, it's raced on an oval at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in an open wheel racing car, which looks not dissimilar to a Formula One car. On the same day, there is a NASCAR race. And NASCAR is very much the opposite of an Indy car big heavy saloon car or a stock car as it's referred to very very heavy big v8 engine completely different discipline the only probably the only parameter is uh the only parallel is is that it's raced on an oval as well and on the same day there's a charlotte uh, there was a race at the charlotte motor speedway for 600 miles and humpy wheeler decided that he wanted janet to come to race in his race because he was a promoter. He wanted to put, he wanted to put um, people through the gate, and very probably slightly selfishly in that in in that way. But in in the, in for Janet, it provided an opportunity for her to get on track. And what followed is one of the most amazing stories. When it was announced that Janet would go to the 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 um, the Charlotte Six Hundred, all the press and media who'd followed her around made her life very difficult at the Indy 500, effectively followed her down to Charlotte to cover cover that, and Indy 500 was left uh, almost forgotten about. And what happened on race day was quite exceptional, and will go down in, or has gone down in NASCAR history. 
she ended up finishing 15th uh, in her first ever NASCAR race. Quite an extraordinary achievement. Um, NASCAR, even to this day, is particularly racing on an oval track, is a very specific discipline which takes people a long, long time to learn. You know, if you speak to, there are a number of, of drivers in other motorsport disciplines today, for example, Jordan Taylor, um, who's a very prolific sports car driver. He's won Le Mans, he's won Daytona multiple times, he's won Sebring, he's won Petit Le Mans. Won more or less everything there is to learn, every, won everything there is to win in sports car racing. And even he says, you know, I'd love to race a NASCAR, but I would only do it at a road course. I would never do it on an oval because it's such a specific skill to learn. So put that into context of what Janet did to go in that day, race in the NASCAR top level series and finish 15th. So that was historic enough in itself to be the first ever woman to race in that, in uh, at Charlotte and to come from India to do that race. But what was also most impressive was that that day remains the record number of people to come through the gate to watch a race at Charlotte Motor Speedway. It remains the record participation in terms of spectators. And all of a sudden, what is probably not only a what, what is and still is a male-dominated sport, but also a male-dominated sport in terms of the fans and the spectators, on that day, a number of women came along to watch Janet and to see her compete. Now, Janet Guthrie always said that she was not doing this for any political reason. She was doing this because she wanted to go and win win races. Uh, it was There was no other agenda whatsoever. It was to go and win races. Although it has left uh, a strong legacy for her and for, for others to follow, but um, it was not the, initial, um, not the initial intention. Now, that same promoter who laid that opportunity down for Janet, Humpy Wheeler, Two years later, he laid down another opportunity in 1978 for the first ever black driver to race um, uh, there at Charlotte. In 1978, Willie T. Ribs came to race at Charlotte. Unfortunately, he didn't take the start um, for reasons that are too long to go into on this particular podcast. But there is a fantastic documentary up on Netflix at the moment called Uppity, um, which um, looks through the life and career of of Willie T. Ribs, and I urge you to go and watch it. It's absolutely fantastic. But in 1977, Janet achieved her dream of, of not only going to qualify for the Indy 500, but finishing that race as well. But in the same year, she also qualified for America's other big race, the Daytona 500. So the Daytona 500 and the Indy 500 are the two biggest races in the United States of America. They are effectively the Super Bowl of motor racing and Janet went to race and qualified for both of these in 1977 and was the first woman to do so. By 1980, um, Janet unfortunately did not longer have a full-time drive in competitive motorsport and at that point decided to retire from the sport. At that point, she decided to go and write her book completely in the first person. She wrote her book with no ghostwriting whatsoever. It was all her own words, and it's a fantastic reading. You should go and uh, and and check it out. There's a lot of I read a couple of excerpts from it, and it's just fan fantastically written. 
And one of the one of the pieces that I, I looked at earlier, some of the quotes, some of the things that she said are 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 they're, they're sentiments that you should carry with you all the time. She said, I drove race cars because it was an obsession and a passion. She says, not everyone wants to drive race cars, but for every person, the right challenge is out there. The challenge that is just the right size, the challenge that will evoke a great adventure. And that was that was her career. Now, one thing I want to... I want to sign off with uh, on this particular episode was uh, a clip. It's on YouTube. You check it out. When Janet Guthrie in 2006, she was inducted into the Motorsports Hall of Fame for her achievements and for her, you know, her trailblazing efforts in motorsport. And when she went up to collect the award from um, her competitor and friend, Daryl Waltrip, she told a story of what a French driver had said about her when she came into the sport. She says this, I won't do the accent. Uh, she says this French driver was asked if, if lady drivers should be competing in the sport and this particular French driver says, I don't think they would be very good. They would be missing something between the legs. And in response to this, she said, well, I never understood the use of such apparatus when driving a racing car. And I think that says it all. Since Janet Guthrie's career, there have been many other great racing lady racing drivers, for example, Michelle Mouton in the World Rally Championship, who won um, four World Rallies and nearly won the World Rally Championship in the last moments of that year in 1982. And there have been many, many others since Danica Patrick, Catherine Legg, Christina Nielsen and so on. And I'm sure we will talk about many of these ladies in future episodes, but I felt that Janet and her career deserved a whole podcast to itself. So if you've never if you've never heard of Janet before, or you don't know her story, go and check it out. It's absolutely fascinating to hear. And probably the best way to learn her story is, as I say, tune in to Dinner with Racers and their chat with Janet. It's very enlightening indeed. Thank you very much indeed for listening to this episode today on International Women's Day. Uh, if you haven't checked out the last couple of episodes um, about the wins for GT and our upcoming episode, uh, which will be about the Audi Quattro, remember that we're running a competition at the moment with our partners Heeltread. All you need to do uh, to be in with a chance of winning a pair of their lovely, comfy, motorsport-inspired socks, all you need to do is download the Podbean app and subscribe or follow the show via that app and you will be in with a chance of winning a pair of their lovely socks so thank you very much indeed for listening to this episode and i look forward to speaking to you again very soon <laughs>